You are listening to the Regent College Podcast. Hello, I'm Nick Corbin. And I'm Claire Perini. And welcome back to the Regent College Podcast. Today we're welcoming back Dr. Paul Spilsbury to the podcast. And if you know, if you've been around Regent for a little while, you you might know Paul. Paul is Professor of New Testament here and the academic dean. He's been on faculty here since about 2015. He's originally a South African, but his his research and lots of the kind of doctoral work that he's done, but as well as what he's done since then. Paul is a, a scholar of the New Testament, and what we're talking with him about today is particularly about the Apostle Paul. And so a lot of his research has has, has reflected on Paul and, and on different letters of Paul and so on. Um, and Paul Spilsbury, this Paul, is really good at getting you excited about someone that you might be a little bit like, I'm not sure how I feel about mm-hmm. the Apostle Paul. Um, but Paul kind of, uh, our Paul, this Paul, <laughs> it's very <laughs> <It's> confusing. confusing. <laughs> It's not confusing when Paul's here. Right. It's just, <laughs> just when we're talking about both Pauls. But kind of try and understand what was going on in Paul's world, what actually mm-hmm. is central to what Paul's theology is, and, you know, why why why, why might he be misunderstood mm. and kind of seen as, you know, like a killjoy or as adding things to yeah. the gospel or sort of making the gospel more restrictive than perhaps, you know, Jesus had meant it to be mm-hmm. or whatever. So he's... Paul is really good at helping us understand some of those complexities. And he, I mean, he's just got, he's got Paul's letters in him. So like drawing links between yeah. different passages in different parts of the Bible, parts of Paul's letters. And it's, it was a great conversation. Yeah. You might be inspired to go and memorize the book of Romans after listening to this conversation mm-hmm. and even more inspired by Paul, the apostles letters and the impact that he had on the church and has today. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a wonderful conversation. Yeah. And Paul is teaching a class in the January term here at Regent College called Paul and His Letters. And so this is sort of a precursor. And so the, we we don't we didn't get through all of our questions. So mm-hmm. but I'm sure this will generate more questions for you. So if you're interested, you can check that out. That's happening in January 2023. So we hope you enjoy our conversation with Dr. Paul Spilsbury. Paul, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. It's good to have you back. Um, now, we're talking about another Paul today, but um, but before we talk about him, tell us a little bit about how you got interested in studying the Apostle Paul. Like, why, do you, why does this Paul care about that Paul? Well, thank you. When I came to Christ as a teenager in South Africa, when I was 16 years old, I uh, through my with along with my youth pastor mm. memorized the book of Romans. Wow. Did you? And, uh, Can you do to remember yeah, let's it? Let's do it. No, I, I don't <laughs> say that I could. But we uh, together over a period of quite a few weeks, we studied the Bible. He was an amazing youth pastor, and we mm-hmm. uh, we memorized verse by verse the whole. I could recite the entire book of Romans, That's and then we awesome. went on to also memorize Galatians and Colossians mm. and Ephesians and Philippians. You would think so. that that would stay inside of you, <laughs> so, but it hasn't. No, but it Paul has. has it's yeah. deeply. I think that yeah. Paul is deeply inside me, mm. and um, I've loved Paul. It shapes the way I think about my Christian life. It shapes the way I think about the gospel, and so um, yeah, there's I think a deep resonance in me, kind of that goes back to those early days, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I think that Paul is uh, an incredibly powerful, integrated thinker. He's, there's a coherence to mm-hmm. Paul's thought. It's complicated and and challenging at times, for sure. But there's a, a deeply powerful vision of not just of the Christian life, but of the world mm-hmm. that is compelling and keeps drawing mm-hmm. me back. So I really do love yeah. reading and studying Paul. Yeah, this Paul oh, loves that. That's Paul. incredible. Memorize Romans and Galatians. And Ephesians. Like what? And Ephesians, did you say? Mm-hmm. And Philippians. Colossians. I forget. What did you do when you were 16? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Over a like, period of time. How much was fun that. was I having? Yeah. <laughs> I was, you have to love it, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. I wonder um, if you could share maybe like in, in a sentence mm. or point to a scripture verse mm-hmm. that – you know, Paul, he's known as like Paul of Tarsus, mm-hmm. Saul to Paul, Paul the Apostle of Jesus Christ. Like, yeah. how would you describe Paul? Like, what characteristics? And then maybe like, what what scripture verse would you point to to maybe sum up this 
this is who Paul is. Yeah, I think that when I think of Paul, I think of him as a zealot transformed by a personal encounter with Jesus. And so he mm -hmm. is a deeply passionate person, someone who we would think of as a bit black and white, a bit excessive mm -hmm. in his mm -hmm. uh, personality. Um, <laughs> but he's been transformed by Christ. And there is this driving passion that characterizes everything about him. And it's um, all taken up with the person of Jesus. So my verse for Paul um, comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So Paul understands himself as someone who has been encountered oh, mm. by the resurrected Jesus mm, wow. in, the in the same way that Jesus appeared to Peter and to the other disciples. He says, last of all, he appeared also to me. So he places his experience kind of on a par with those others. That's what gives mm -hmm. him the right to call himself an apostle. Right. Um, then he says, for I am the least of the apostles, um, unfit to be called an apostle because I persecute, persecuted the church of God. So there's this wound in Paul. Mm. There's this, uh. there's this um, unmovable fact that he had been an, an opponent. He, mm. had, he had opposed the church. He had, you know, he had done damage to people, maybe even, you know, got harmed people. Yeah. Um, but then he says, and this is one of the most amazing verses in the whole Bible, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me has not been in vain. So Paul says, what are you going to do? I am what I am. Mm. God showed mm. grace to me. Mm. And that's now who I am. I am the grace. I'm a grace recipient. It's completely changed my life. And then Paul says, on the contrary, so God's grace towards me has not been in vain. Mm. On the contrary, I worked harder than anyone else. Or he actually says, any of them. And so it shows that Paul has got this combativeness because there's mm. always people who oppose him. Yeah. And he says, what are you going to do? God called me. God showed grace to me. And God's grace energized Paul to work harder than anyone else. Mm. So this is the thing that kind of makes uh, people prick a little about Paul because he is com yeah. combative. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this idea that grace is all about, hey, now I'm just free to do whatever I want. Absolutely not. For Paul, God's grace is... Um, deeply energizing and it's obligating. Mm -hmm. Paul sees himself as a person under obligation to, so that's why I said he's a zealot transformed. Right. He's not like a zealot who's on vacation. He's a transformed zealot who yeah. now works harder than any of them. And by them, he means specifically the other people that are mentioned here, James, the Lord's brother, Peter, all of these others that are potentially seen as the, uh, the pillars. Remember in Galatians, Paul says, what they are makes no difference to me. Yeah. God shows no partiality. Mm. So there is this very clear sense of Paul being over against the many people who opposed him. Um, and that's also kind of compelling is this mm. kind of uh, potentially marginal figure. And yet now in our New Testaments, he dominates the New Testament. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of obscured the marginalness of Paul in his own time. The fact that he was mm -hmm. uh, feared yeah. And, you know, people were very concerned about, you know, this new theology he was preaching and, mm. and all of that sort of thing. But in our New Testaments, it's, it's all set up in many ways to center the message of Paul. So um, the Gospel of Mark seems to come from the Pauline community in some way, mm. kind of deeply resonates with Paul's theology. Mm. The book of Acts sets up Paul and it's positioned in our collection as a kind of an introduction to yeah. Paul. So after uh, the first half of the book, which gives us the early stages, it all becomes kind of a biography of Paul. It's all about him, yeah. And then it's set, and then we've got all the letters of Paul. Um, and so, and then, and Luke, of course, Luke Acts, it's is itself written by someone who is apparently a companion of Paul. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the New Testament is profoundly Pauline, uh, which is quite surprising when you read Paul's letters and you see how much opposition he faced from the Jerusalem yeah. church, no less, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, which was the mother church and the place from which the gospel was radiating and so on. So yeah. all of those things make Paul very compelling yeah, yeah. and interesting and controversial and yeah. so on. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, when you, when you describe Paul like that, there are some people who might be like taken by that, like very inspired, mm -hmm. encouraged, like Paul was a man of faith. He was bold. He worked harder than all mm -hmm. the other apostles, as he stated, mm -hmm. but others might view him as maybe a little arrogant at yeah. times or, 
conce- like conceited. Like he he used this um, he in Corinthians he uses this phrase, "Follow my example mm-hmm. as I follow Christ," mm-hmm. which is a good thing. Like at first glance, you're like, "Yes, I want to follow Christ, and I want to follow who's ever <clears throat> exemplifying him." But it also seems very bold, mm-hmm. and and some people might maybe misunderstand it as as arrogant. Can you explain like what what is going on here? with Paul when he says like specifically mm-hmm. follow my example as I follow Christ like is there something contextually going on there for yeah. the people at the time or yeah that's an important part of Paul's whole way of being and it's in that part he's very much like uh teachers and philosophers in his own time or you know uh squat uh, rabbinic type teachers although that's not that's a little bit anachronistic but um so Teachers were understood to be people who not only um, described their philosophy of life or whatever it was they were doing in words, but who modeled the um, the vision of life that they were espousing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Paul is someone who definitely, well, he believed himself to be an ambassador of Christ, someone who had the words of Christ that that were laid upon him as, a, as an obligation. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, Paul mm-hmm. says. But preaching the gospel had to be done not only in words, but in but modeled in a way of life. Mm. So mm. Um, if you think about ancient philosophers like the Stoics, for example, what they were preaching was a way of living. Mm. And the early and, and the same with the broadly speaking, the uh, the Jewish vision of life. So the Torah was not just a whole bunch of theories, but it was a way of life. Mm-hmm. And so Paul saw himself as announcing this deeply Christological vision of the world and of the cosmos and of the God's purposes for the turning of the ages and so on. And it definitely issued in a way of living. And mm-hmm. so for Paul, he was it was just absolutely natural to say, well, this is how this plays out in life. So it's not just a matter of um, saying, here's the right way to right. think mm-hmm. or here are the right doctrines or here are the right thoughts to have. Um, but it's very much about a way of life. And so Paul would say, follow me because I'm following Jesus. Mm-hmm. Follow the example that you have in me. But he also pointed out others that also, whether it was Timothy or Paphroditus and so on, who were also living a certain kind of life. So uh, remember in Philippians where Paul talks about having the same mind as Christ. That, mm-hmm. And so he was in the form of God. He did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited for himself, but he emptied himself and he gave himself up his life for others. Yeah. They, so have that mind in you. And so Paul would say, I'm doing that too. I am spending my life on behalf of other people. There's a shape. There's a, there's a shape to the gospel. The gospel has got a lived shape and the lived mm-hmm. shape is that it's the life of Jesus. It's the self-giving outpouring of one's own right. life as the way Jesus did. And those people that live that way are living in a manner worthy of the gospel. Yeah. And then when Paul criticizes other people, you know, the so-called super apostles and so on in, in Corinth, he criticizes them precisely because he says about them that they are, you know, putting on airs, they're all about their own prestige and so on. So Paul is undercutting them by saying, you know, you can tell that I'm a true messenger of the gospel because my life mirrors Jesus' life. Mm. Look at my sufferings, look at my weakness, look at my uh, incredible Mm. hardship. But I'm living the shape of the gospel. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's a pretty daunting thing about Paul. Yeah, you know, right. he says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus. And so these are all ways of uh, showing how his life is an outflowing of the implications of the gospel. Mm-hmm, the gospel yeah. leads to a way of life. And then when he says other things like, you know, I worked hard with my hands. I wasn't a burden to anyone. All of these things are meant to demonstrate a coherence a coherence mm-hmm. between his life and the message that right. he has. Yeah. yeah. So it does come across as kind of dodgy, you know, mm. but I have to say, I don't know how you feel, but when a pastor or a preacher, like I've experienced before, someone was preaching on say prayer and they get up and they're telling you about, you know, spiritual disciplines and a prayer life. And then they say, you know, but I myself haven't achieved this, you know, I'm not putting myself forward. I don't do this, but you should, or we should, or something. It's kind of like, I'm like, Hmm. You don't seem to know the power of this message you're talking about. Yeah, right. And it's like in Canadian culture anyway, there's kind of like people 
don't want to say I'm an example of the yeah. very thing I'm talking no. about because then it looks like oh you're putting on airs you mm. claim to be a holy person you claim mm. to be a but if the person isn't a holy and a righteous person then why are they talking to me mm-hmm. and like, why should I listen yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. Why should I listen to you if you're talking to me about prayer, but you don't actually ha- you have any insights come yeah. from practice? You have yeah. thoughts right. from the Bible. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Paul is definitely deeply rooted in the Bible. Mm. Right. But he also is living a living life yeah. that he says, if you do what I do, you'll be okay. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't ring well for, you know, kind of for us in our yeah. sort of very individualistic. And, yeah. Yeah. But that's the... The roots of it. So I don't think that it's arrogant, but it's certainly got a certain kind of confidence. Yep. Yeah. And is that, do you think that's why he's kind of misunderstood? Because it's like, I'm not just telling you how to think. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you actually mm-hmm. yeah. how to live, you know. Yeah. And so that's why then, is, is that sort of partly why? Because, yeah, he is misunderstood and, you know, all the things. I mean, there's a number of reasons why Paul is understood, but that is definitely mm-hmm. a part of it. Yeah. Um, part of it is that. You know, he lived a long time ago in a different culture than <laughs> yeah, us. Yeah, there's that and, too. You know, and so there's just, yeah. it's just very yeah. much like when you meet a person from another part of the world, it's very different than yours. Yeah. But sometimes it could be something that you think is similar to your yeah. part of the world. and then you realize it's Then you not, realize yeah. it's very different. So mm-hmm. there are genuine cultural differences yeah. between the ancient Mediterranean world and yeah. ours. You yeah. Know? Um, and so a lot of, of our disconnect with Paul comes from simply that, you mm-hmm. know, just like, Here's a very articulate mm. and um, you know strong, strong spoken kind of a mm-hmm. person, and there's lots of ways in which it's just like, whoa, that's mm-hmm. that's not what I think, or I don't understand, I mm-hmm. don't know, kind of the line of reasoning and all of that sort yeah. of thing. The other thing that makes Paul difficult is that he is just difficult. Like mm. he's got this <laughs> very complex theology. He's, right. His letters are absolutely remarkable in the ancient world for their length, for example. Like yeah. Paul's letter to the Romans would have been an absolute shocker. You know, yeah. it's it's page upon page. Yeah. Normally, uh, you know, an ancient letter would be one page like long. Like Philemon maybe. Yeah. Or, it would, yeah. Like Philemon <laughs> yeah. is a much more... To the typical length yeah. for a letter. Yeah. Paul has taken this letter form to a, just, whole new, just a whole new level. Yeah. But then not only that, so it's long and complicated, but yeah, it's it's complicated in the sense that he's doing a new kind of mm. sort of unprecedented theology. He's, he's, he's talking about the difference that Christ has made, but he wants to be in this in-between place. So there's this radicalness to it, but he hasn't jettisoned what he had before. Mm. He's saying that everything we had before is still valid in this new way. Yeah. And so there are questions about whether it's entirely coherent at times or whether it's completely consistent. Yeah. And whether from one letter to the other over a period of 10 years, does he shift his thinking? Right. And that, I mean, that you've got to factor that all in. But Mm -hmm. of course, the problem is we don't really know for sure the order of all the letters. We know mm-hmm. the order of a, of a good chunk of them. Right. You know, we know a good number of them. We know when he wrote them. That's if you think that the book of Acts is a accurate representation of the travels and ministry of Paul. Of course, mm. there's some who think it isn't. But uh-huh. one of the problems with book of Acts is that it never mentions Paul writing a letter. <laughs> like it never mentions oh, the fact yeah. that Paul wrote letters. Never once does it say, and then Paul oh, sat then down. Said that one. When yeah. did he do all these letter writings? You know? So you have to kind of extrapolate. So, yeah. you know, so when Paul writes to the, uh, to the Romans, he says he's in Kentria, which is the port of mm. Corinth. And we can see what he's planning to do next and where he's going to go. And you say, ah, this is when Paul in, mm. you know, just uh, he's leaving Corinth. He's on his way back. And, you know, he's, he's heading off to Jerusalem again. And yeah. so then you can say, well, if you take the chronology of the book of Acts and type, then it's like, it's this, it's the winter of 57, 58. It's yeah. like, okay. Or, okay yeah. or a year after that or a year before that. I yeah. mean, you know, there's ongoing yeah. sort of debates about these things, but then you can say, okay, you've got Romans pegged as an important date and you can maybe arrange the others. Uh-huh. But all of that just, it factors in. If you say, how did Paul's th- thinking develop? You yeah. say, well, was Galatians written before that? Right, right. Um, Most people probably think Galatians came first. Then you would say, okay, so Galatians is this quite energetic and almost um, emotionally charged document. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then Romans seems to be kind of a later, more calm reflection on some of the same themes. And you can see, okay, here now in slightly more measured tones, what Paul says about the law and so on is yeah. not as kind of incendiary. Mm-hmm. Whereas 
in Galatians, Paul says very shocking things. Mm -hmm. And it seems to be because, you know, Paul is always dealing with this issue of he preaches the gospel, people receive the gospel, seem to have this amazing experience of the spirit of God confirming the message they receive it. Mm -hmm. And then because Paul is this itinerant, he moves on to some other place, but Mm -hmm. then he's followed by other teachers preaching Mm -hmm. the kind of more conservative, you could say Jerusalem-based, Jerusalem church-based message that throws into question all kinds of things about Paul. Mm. Not not least the fact that Paul, like, you know, asking the question, hey, so you've heard Paul and he came here and you believed his gospel, but did he mention to you that he used to be a persecutor of the church? Mm. And then they go, no, he didn't no, mention he didn't. that. Yeah. And that throws into question yeah. everything about him. Right. And then also, um, did Paul mention that there are apostles in Jerusalem who are the ones that actually knew Christ, traveled with him, were uh-huh. present at the resurrection of Jesus, and that they are the authoritative people? Yeah. And then, no, he didn't mention no, that yeah, either. Didn't, yeah. So then Paul writes to them and he says, you have heard you no heard doubt. This, yeah. He says, you have heard mm. no doubt mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> about my former life in mm. Judaism, mm. how I persecuted the church. And then Paul has to kind of acknowledge and then he also has to say, yes, I did go down to Jerusalem. I did present my gospel to them, kind mm. of almost like to get a, you know, a check mark. But he says, yeah. but they added nothing to me. In fact, they recognized my ministry and they, and we agreed that I'm going to be the apostle to the Gentiles and Peter's going to be the apostle to the Jews. But he also throws in there, you know, what they are really makes no difference to me. Right. So <laughs> yeah. you can see there, there's, yeah. so I think in that case, you can say, okay, Galatians, maybe one of the earliest letters we have of Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, this is kind of, and there's this really combative thing in Paul. I mean, Paul even just says, you know, I wish that those who trouble you would castrate themselves mm-hmm. because they're talking about circumcision. And Paul just says, just, you know, it's a, it's a very, it's a shocking yeah. like yeah. zinger, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, so, um, yeah. But he doesn't, he doesn't say that later on. So in Romans, he says, what is the benefit of being a Jew? Paul says, great in every way. And he says, yeah. because the Jews received the oracles of God. They received the word of God. And this is a absolutely fundamental blessing that has come to the Jewish people. Yeah. And it can't be rescinded. The gifts and calling of God are mm. irrevocable, Paul mm-hmm. says. Mm. And so... Um, <clears throat> That there's nothing about the Old Testament that is now being rescinded or taken mm. away. Rather, it's being fulfilled, but fulfilled in a way that no one quite expected. And this is the thing that gets Paul into this place where you know everyone thinks he's he's right. on the brink of being an apostate. And right, yeah. Um, that's why when he, that's why you know the Book of Acts. You know, there's many occasions where. You know, he re- he has a reception and they listen to him and then it turns bad because yeah. then he gets down to, well, what are you really saying? Right, right, right. And that's, yeah. uh, it's life-threatening for yeah. Paul. And so that's, and so there's, yeah, understanding all of like, for, as contemporary <clears throat> readers, we need to understand like, when are they, yeah, these things change over time and when are they mm-hmm. written in order? What's going yeah. on in the ancient world? Are there other things that contemporary readers need to be paying attention to in order to help with not kind of thinking, He's a jerk, he's arrogant, he's misogynist, you know, whatever. Mm. Just misunderstanding him completely. Well, I mean, just keep in mind that he might be a jerk and he might be a misogynist. You know, I mean, um, I think that, I don't think he's a misogynist, but he is Mm. a person of his time. And, you know, we in modern times just think of those as misogynistic times, Mm -hmm. you know. So in a sense, it's not... I think that helpful to always try to rescue ancient writers from the judgment that they're not liberal or they're not progressive or they're, Uh, and sometimes even Jesus uh. gets portrayed as, you know, radically inclusive and all of that. It's like, well, yeah, okay, fine to a certain (laughs) extent. But um, Paul was a person of, of his time. And, um, you know, what if he was a really, you know, cantankerous, disagreeable person mm-hmm. in that technical mm. sense of being. I think yeah. Paul had a, was a, had a high level of disagreeableness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But he also, you can tell both by his letters and by the book of Acts that he's got a strong entourage, people yeah. who travel around with him. So he was also charismatic and he drew people around him, mm-hmm. people who were willing to travel with him, suffer alongside him, mm-hmm. be in prison with him and so on. So, 
So he's he's definitely a kind of a charismatic, attractive personality mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that he's highly combative and you wouldn't want to cross him. I think of him as this gnarly little guy. I think of his little, I don't know why, but just because <laughs> his name's Paul and that means little. But of course, that's just made up. Um, but also, Paul says when he comes to Corinth that, you know, he was there in fear and trembling and he was unimpressive and mm, so on. Yeah. But I think of him as gnarly because he spends all this time on the road traveling. Yeah. He gets beaten up mm-hmm. yeah. constantly. Super so broken. he's literally scarred. His body is scarred. If you have the 39 lashes minus, that's a life... Um, You'll have those scars for the rest of your life. And Paul says he's been shipwrecked and he's been often near death and all of that. So he's this rugged, tough guy with bright eyes that can pierce right. Like I just think of him (laughs) as someone who's who's got this profound kind of energy in his face. And if you encountered him, you would be drawn to him because Mm. he's full of the love of Jesus. Mm -hmm. He says... The love of Christ compels me. us, compels yeah. me, right? So compels, I think yeah. that mm. Paul is deeply compelled mm. by love. And so, he, you know, in, in Romans again, he says that nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. And I don't think that's just liturgical stuff. This is him saying what actually motivates him. Yeah. yeah. That um, he's got a sense of obligation for sure, the sense that he's being called to be an apostle, kind of like, I think of Paul in the mode of the of the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. So, you know, his the call narrative that Paul gives us in Galatians echoes Jeremiah very clearly. So he says that, you know, before, you know, before I was born, God had set me apart to be mm-hmm. an apostle to the nations, which is echoes Jeremiah saying just about the same thing. But also remember in Ezekiel, there's this vision uh, or this, you know, this this oracle that says, um, you know. God says to the prophet, if you warn the people and they don't listen to you, well, their blood's on their head. Mm-hmm. But if if the watchman on the city sees an invading army and doesn't warn the people, then their blood is on the watchman's, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, that person's to blame. And I think that's the kind of image that we should have in mind when Paul says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. He has got... A um, a message about yeah. God's purposes for the world, and this burden lies heavy on him. Mm-hmm. But he is also you know, deeply impressed by this fact that even though I was a persecutor, God had called me and redeemed me by His grace. So I'm the mm-hmm. least of the apostles, but mm-hmm. by the grace of God, I am what I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. What are you going to do oh. about yeah. it? And um. <laughs> I think that that shapes everything about Paul, that he believes in the love of God, Mm -hmm. but it's love of God that's manifested in Christ, and Mm. Christ is the center of everything. Mm -hmm. And so um, he has a different starting point for the gospel. When we think about, even the way the New Testament is set up in some ways, when we think about what's the gospel, we first of all think about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And you think about the life of Jesus, you know, the Christmas story and then the life of Jesus and all of those things. Jesus is a preacher. Jesus is someone who tells the, who speaks the um, Sermon on the Mount, um, preaches about the coming of the kingdom, all of those things. Paul's got nothing of that. Mm-hmm. For Paul, the starting point is on the road to Damascus, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Mm-hmm. The risen, glorified Christ Mm-hmm. is speaking to him and mm. Paul has to now account for that how did this crucified person mm. get there, there. Mm-hmm. and what does it mean about what God is doing in the world Paul never for a minute contemplates the thought that the Old Testament was wrong in a, a slightest way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. he has to rethink mm-hmm. how he's understood its implications mm, for yeah. life and for yeah. how God works in the world. And so for Paul, it's the resurrected Jesus now reigning over the world who mm-hmm. is the centering mm-hmm. principle of everything, yeah. not a historical figure that people knew. It, it, that's Paul says. Right. We no longer know him that way. You know, we we used to know Christ according to the flesh. We no longer know mm-hmm. him that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dr. Spilsbury, <clears throat> in that same vein, so like in thinking about 
you know, Paul's theology, his understanding of, of who God is. And, mm -hmm. you know, he's been formed and shaped by the Torah, mm -hmm. but then he's had this experience with Jesus. So mm -hmm. it's really almost like completely changed a lot of his view, but he still has the Torah in mind. Like, can my, I guess my question is, can you sum up Paul's theology? A lot of, a lot of people or specifically reformers want to pinpoint Paul as like, you know, the, the theology of the justification by faith out of Romans, they pull that out and that kind of like encapsulates Paul's theology and understanding of, of God in Christ. Um, so the question maybe is, can you sum up Paul's mm. theology? And if so, what, what would be at the, at mm. the heart of it? Or does yeah. it just depend on the individual letters that he's, he's written? No, there is a heart to Paul's theology. You just have to uh, read and digest Romans. <laughs> um, no, but I think that um, the heart of the matter is that God in Christ is calling the world to himself. Um, so the way that I would think of it is this. In the Old Testament, um, you have this notion that God is has drawn a people into covenant with himself. Mm -hmm. And um, so God says, you, you will be my people and I will be my God. And here are the terms of that relationship. Here, and that the terms of that relationship, this covenant that I'm making with you, are in the Torah. So the Torah becomes the centering kind of um, mm. construct for how people maintain their relationship with God yeah. in the world. So that's the heart of the matter. This, this, the Torah is at the heart of everything, and uh, we relate to God in terms of the gift that God has made to us. So the, the, it's not a – the Old Testament religion, you could say, or even Judaism in the Second, Tem uh, Second Temple period is not a works religion. It's a covenant religion that's based mm -hmm. on God's choice of a, of a group of people, of a family, and then establishing the terms by which they will maintain their relationship with, with God. Um, for Paul, that is thrown into question by the fact that this crucified individual has been raised from the dead and glorified. Mm. Um, and so for Paul, what has happened is that the, the resurrected Messiah has decentered the Torah. Mm. The, the terms of entrance into this community of God's people Mm -hmm. uh, have shifted to faith in Jesus, right. not obedience to the Torah. Yeah. So it's not that the obedience to the Torah is dis, um, discounted. Mm -hmm. It's just no longer the main thing. The, so um, entrance into the community is faith in Jesus. Yeah. And continuance in the community is living in accordance with Jesus. Mm. Um, and that's what that kind of what's what introduces this complexity mm. uh, because Paul doesn't say the law was wrong now I've got a new way of doing things um, so but there's it's there's something it's not just about sort of assent and and beliefs it's there's a deeply mystical element to Paul so Paul says that we enter into the life of God or the life of the age to come essentially by being joined to Jesus who has died and who has raised, been raised from the dead. Mm -hmm. So the resurrection of Jesus is not a resuscitation. Okay? It's mm -hmm. not Jesus mm -hmm. being raised back to his old life like poor old Lazarus. Mm -hmm. uh, that's probably the most disappointing, disappointed person in the Bible. Mm -hmm. right? He dies, he gets summoned from the grave, and he's like, back what? In his, uh, yeah, back in his <laughs> old body guys? again. Yeah, <laughs> They're all happy to see him, but he's like, this is not. Anyway, Jesus gets raised to a new kind of life. Okay, Jesus is raised once for all into the life of the age to come. It is resurrection. The resurrection that had been mm. anticipated and promised all the way back in Daniel chapter 12 and so on. So the whole... Um, point of the gospel is for us to also enter into resurrection life. Mm -hmm. The only way into resurrection life is to be joined to Jesus in his death so that you can be raised to this new kind of life. Mm -hmm. so that's what all is all happening in, in Romans chapter six. Mm -hmm. Paul talks about, don't you know that when you were baptized, you were baptized into the death of Jesus so that you can mm -hmm. also be raised with him into a new kind of life. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then there's this whole already not yet dynamic that goes on because Paul knows very well that we continue to live mm. in this age. And we, you know, even though something amazing and profound has happened, the resurrection of Jesus is Paul uses the language of first fruits. It's like the beginning of the harvest, but the full harvest hasn't happened yet. So the resurrection of Jesus is our clear proof that there is a life to come, that there is an age to come. Mm. There is the eternal mm. age, the age of the, to which the righteous will be resurrected. But surprisingly, this resurrection has happened in the midst of history, not at the end of history. It started in advance. Mm. And the other key indication that this is real is that the resurrection of Jesus is accompanied by the gift par excellence of the life to come, which is the spirit of God. Mm -hmm. So the spirit of God is the quality or the, it's the energizing power of the age to come. Mm. It's the presence of God in the world. And it leads to the knowledge of God, as the prophets say, like the waters that cover the sea. Yeah. So it's like Paul's view, and I'm not sure that Paul was the only one who thought this, but Paul's view is that the green shoots of the life to come are already kind of growing up right. in the midst of the present. It's like there's these evidences mm -hmm. that the the life of the future have kind of already germinated. Mm -hmm. The seeds are already coming to fruition and you can mm -hmm. see the fruit of it. So Paul's language around the fruit of the spirit is the same. The word could be translated as a harvest of the spirit. The, mm -hmm. the, the harvest is coming. The first mm -hmm. fruits is the resurrection of Jesus. And, and we're next. Yeah. But we only get to participate in the life of the age to come by being joined to the death of Jesus to this world and mm -hmm. raised with him into the new kind of life. That's the only way in. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's deeply decentering of the Torah. Yeah. Having mm -hmm. said that, though, <laughs> you then Paul then says, well, you need to offer yourself to God um, as an instrument of righteousness. Mm -hmm. You know, you because we live, you know, in this strange in-between place where the the world of the present age is still all around us, even though Paul says to the Corinthians, it's passing away, that the, the, the time has grown short the present form of this world is passing away. But in the meantime, you do have to live as if it's true. Right. You know, so there's this kind yeah. of a, a kind of conscious aligning of oneself with what has happened to you in Christ. And this is where the Torah continues to have a function because mm. the Torah helps us to shape the practice of our life. Um, so we know how to live a righteous life mm. because the Torah has always shown us how to live a righteous life. But mm. now not as an entrance requirement that is the basis on right. which you're in, but as something that gives shape to your life. Mm -hmm. But it gets complicated <laughs> further because, because there's pushback from gentle, Gentile communities mm. who are saying like, are you saying that I have to get circumcised? Yeah. And Paul goes, yeah. mm, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> and then what about the food laws yeah, and what about... Yeah. And so there's a kind of practical negotiation that happens in these communities where there's Jews and Gentiles in the same communities about, well, what exactly, which parts of the ceremonial mm -hmm. law and so on are still genuinely indicative of the life that God requires for the nations. Mm -hmm. And so there you see some very complex exegetical work that's going on in Acts chapter 15, for example, where they come up with this document, the so-called apostolic decree. Sort of, it says, well, certain things are not laid on the Gentiles. Circumcision, you right. don't have to because they're the example of Abraham who you know, had faith and it was, it was kind of recognized as faith in chapter 15 of Genesis rather than 17. Well, that's basically Paul's argument that he was, you know, his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness before mm. the covenant of circumcision. Therefore, mm -hmm. he was basically a righteous and justified Gentile. Mm. Um, so mm. that's that's right. a good thing. Yeah. But then, but there is this recognition. No, the law has still got validity, and so they say you have to abstain from fornication. So sexual sins are kind of kind of not good. And there is a basic food code. You know, that's mm. like um, you're not allowed to eat meat that's still got its blood in it, meat that's been strangled. That's something we don't really think about anymore, but the apostolic decree specified that there were still some basic mm -hmm. food requirements. Mm -hmm. And of course, idolatry. So 
you know, which was a massive thing in the Mediterranean world, was you know filled with images and yeah. icons and um, statues of various gods and deities. So that would have been a very mm. big requirement for Gentile Christians to say, "Okay, I'm not allowed to, I'm not allowed to be a, a, mm. a polytheist." Mm-hmm. We hope you've been enjoying this wonderful conversation. But Claire wanted to take a few seconds just to share some ways you could get involved more in the Regent College podcast. Totally. We at Regent, we love people being a part of the things that we're doing. And so there's a couple of different ways you can do that. If you've enjoyed this conversation or any of our other conversations, let someone know. Share it with them. Share it with a family member, with a friend, with someone who you think would appreciate this and would love to hear it. That's the first way. Mm-hmm. Second way, you could you could give us a rating or write a little uh, comment on one of the on wherever you listen to your podcast. That would be another great way. And then the final way that you could uh, participate with us is if you've enjoyed the podcast and you'd like to give a donation to Regent College, then we would warmly receive that. Yeah. You can do that by heading to rgnt.net forward slash give. And, you know, in the comment box, let them know that we sent you. Right, Nick? That's right. We do love hearing when people have appreciated the podcast. And so let you can let Nick know by sending an email to podcast at regent-college.edu. When Nick and I are having these conversations, it's sometimes hard for us to realise that actually people listen to these. And so when we get emails or we get a little note in the comment box on the donation page of our website, it just reminds us that people are actually listening and we love that. So please let us know that you're listening. Let us know if there are things that different profs that you'd like to hear from. We'd love to hear from you. So thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoy the rest of the conversation. Do you want to say anything more about kind of the role of the spirit? So mm. you sort of started talking about that. But, yeah, is there anything more you want to say about that in terms of the role of the spirit in Paul's theology? Yeah, I mean, the, the spirit is fundamental mm-hmm. for the empowering of a person's right. life, right? So yeah. um, Paul says that we have been set free for freedom, Right. He said, mm-hmm. you know, that the gospel is about freedom. It's not about kind of a yoke of slavery and hardship, living under the yoke of the law and so on. Mm-hmm. So our lives are now energized by Jesus. So mm. we are baptized into the death of Jesus so that we can live the life Rough, of Jesus. Yeah. The life of Jesus is made possible by the Spirit. And yeah. we experience that through the presence of the Spirit in our life. Yeah. So Paul says that we should keep in step with the Spirit or walk by the spirit mm-hmm. and we should nurture the life of God in our lives. So at the end of Galatians, Paul says, God is not mocked. You reap whatever you sow. If you live a life that sort of is oriented towards the flesh from the flesh, you're going to reap bad things. Mm. So there's this pragmatic kind of element to mm-hmm. how you live your life. But if you live by the spirit from the spirit, you will reap mm. life and flourishing and all the good mm-hmm. things, the harvest of God's uh, fruit in our lives. Mm-hmm. So Paul, you know, talks about the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, all of these mm. things. There's mm-hmm. no, there's no law against those things. <clears throat> those things are the power of the spirit in our life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's more to it than that because, you know, in Corinthians and stuff, in places like that, especially Corinthians, first Corinthians, we find these references to manifestations of the spirit right. with these gifts yeah, that yeah. are given to the community for the, for the building up of the community. Mm. And so that's a very interesting and kind of complex part of Paul's um, ecclesiology is that he believes that the spirit is at work in the community, empowering different parts Mm. of the body. See, once we become joined to Jesus, we are now part of the body of Jesus, almost in a literal way. Like we are are buried by baptism, into him. We're joined to him now. Mm -hmm. And by being joined to Jesus, we are, whether we like it or not, joined to each other. Mm -hmm. And we are now the presence of Jesus in the world. Jesus' spirit is in us collectively as a community. Mm -hmm. And the life of Jesus is being manifested in these different ways. One person speaks prophecy. Another person is an encourager. Another person is a teacher. Another person can speak in different languages and there's this incredible vibrance yeah. to the community that's all made possible by the presence of the spirit, the gift of the life to come mm. in the community. In that, yeah. So it's definitely a spirit-empowered, mm-hmm. uh, energized community. It's yeah. not just a bunch of theoretical ideas. And so for Paul, 
and for the early church generally. You know, if you think about uh, when the Jerusalem church um, after the Cornelius episode, how did they know that it was okay for Peter to have gone and spoken to Cornelius and his family? Well, he said to them, well, they received the spirit. And then everyone uh, said, well, yeah. who are we to say that that was the yeah, wrong thing to happen? Right, so right. They had their Pentecost experience. And then there's another Pentecost experience that's mentioned in Ephesus and so yeah, on. Yeah. And it seems like there was something like that in Corinth as well, because they were all doing stuff that was empowered by the Spirit. Yeah. So that was that added to the sense of this community that something mag- really um, sort of great magnitude was happening in the... Um, turn of the ages, that the life of the age to come was about to break in yeah. in a completely fulsome way. Yeah. And this gets onto the eschatological frame of Paul's thinking, is that this is a thing that's hard for us now to kind of fathom, but Paul seems to have really believed that the, it was just a matter of a short amount of time mm. before this present age was going to be over. Yeah. So in his very first letter, if indeed First Thessalonians is his first letter, may well be, Paul says, "When then we who are alive will be caught up together with them in the air. Talking about those who have died will yeah. be resurrected. Mm-hmm. And, and then when Christ returns, when the last trump sounds and the world comes to an end, as we mm-hmm. know it, and we enter into the life of the age to come, mm-hmm. we who are alive will be caught up together mm-hmm. within the year. Paul anticipates being in that group. Mm-hmm. And so there is this kind of interim feel to Paul's theology. It's like, do, do this for now. Right. Because this isn't going to last it's very long. It's going to last long, yes. And so First Corinthians is like that when Paul talks about marriage and stuff. And he yeah. says, well, you know, if you want to get married, it's a good thing. You should get married. But I'd kind of like to spare you that because it's a lot of trouble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? And, the, and in the age, if he's thinking the age to come is not going to be that yeah. far away as well. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But then there is this, this is a place where you see a shift. So in the so-called pastoral epistles, um, like First Timothy, for example, there people have noticed that there's less kind of eschatological urgency mm. there still is the sense that you know christ is returning and that sort of thing but there's this emphasis on establishing a more kind of institutional community it's like well mm. you need leaders and you need to pass on right to the next generation what you've learned from faithful teachers this yeah. you know spills over into second yeah. timothy as well yeah. first yeah. timothy and second timothy that there's a deposit and there's this interesting transposition that happens where in Galatians and Romans, you talks about faith, justification by faith, whereas in First and Second Timothy, you have references to the faith. The faith. Yeah. What is the faith? The yeah. faith is now a, a way of thinking and yeah. of saying things and of mm. understanding and a way of life. And a collective that yeah. needs, that mm-hmm. sort of is going to, yeah, that's right. So, and it makes me think: Is it then there is a consistency? Then again, back to the kind of Jewish story. It's like that's a collective thing, and we write it, pass it on to your children, your children, and whatever. Is it that same? Like, Absolutely. I don't know. Is there a consistency there? It's like this is the thing. It's in continuity with that, and it's going to continue in this new read. You know, yeah. centering yeah. The, around the Messiah. You know, yeah, I think that's exactly right. There's that's, yeah. It's very much in continuity with kind of the Jewish emphasis yeah. on you know passing on yeah. to your children and mm-hmm. to the community. You need to make sure you've got the right people doing mm-hmm. that. But there is a shift that's gone on there, right, from this very clear sense of immediacy to more kind of settling in. Yes. Yeah, Um, yeah, right. And you see this in 2 Peter Mm. where you've got um, kind of an apologetic reference to, you know, dealing with maybe taunts, you know, where is the promise of his coming? Mm -hmm. And the response is, well, you know, God is patient Mm. and time with God could be, you know, a day is like a thousand years and mm-hmm. and so on. Mm-hmm. So you can see this kind of having to kind of rethink a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Now what? Right. We're, we're heading into right. the next generation mm-hmm. and we believe this to be yeah. still true, but it's one of the things that disconnects us as moderns from some of these letters because there yeah. is that strong eschatological framing. Mm-hmm. Same thing right. with the book of Revelation. Why yeah. does Revelation seem so kind of jarring to us because it says these things will take place soon mm. and here we are studying it 2000 years <laughs> after the fact <laughs> yeah so it yeah. is it is a it is a kind of um it's something we have to yeah. take into account and mm-hmm. figure out how we're going to respond to yeah. all of those yeah totally yeah i've heard uh paul the apostle um 
accused. Not this poll, you mean? Not that this just, poll. Just, just to clarify, no yeah. 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 But uh, sometimes being described or like accused as maybe like a killjoy mm. in some sense of like setting up new rules or regulations or even even maybe if you juxtapose to Jesus, mm. Jesus almost yeah. like coming to set people free from the religious yoke. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, also the the idea that Jesus like doing your deeds in secret, whereas Paul would seemed at sometimes concerned about the church's reputation and making sure they had a good reputation. Is there something going on here in the sense that Paul's audience is different than Jesus's mm. yeah. audience? Definitely the audience is mm. very different. Um, Jesus is speaking to, you know, a, um, a much more, you would say, um, enclosed community like a Mm -hmm. community there was there's more i mean obviously there are gentile towns and so Mm -hmm. on all around jesus but his message is focused on a smaller group of people where there's quite a bit of cohesion among themselves about and so um speaking into a society that is you know heavily framed by um the torah Mm -hmm. and the influence of the pharisaic reading of the torah and all of that within sort of a priestly state where you know the temple kind of frames things and and all of that. So it's it's a very different kind of milieu that Paul is dealing with. He's in the diaspora, so even the Jewish communities have mm. got a different kind of emphasis thinking about um how their faith works out. I mean, for people for Jewish communities in different parts of the world, they didn't go to the temple on a regular basis. You might go to the temple maybe right. once in a while. It might be a once in a lifetime or a once in a very special occasion kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What is the presence of Pharisaic teaching in Corinth? Maybe very little. Mm. So it's quite a different environment. And then also, um, you know, Paul is deliberately transposing this message into uh, terms that could can be received by right. by at least God fearers, that is Gentiles attracted to Judaism, but mm. maybe even broader than that. So, the idea that Paul is a killjoy is a little bit of a it's kind of an obvious point. Of course, he was a killjoy. I mean, he didn't believe in um, I don't know, like uh, parties. <laughs> I think Paul was an intensely serious guy who's, you know, he's going around from place to place, risking his life for a message that he thinks is like right. pressing upon him. So, yeah, I think, you know, he wasn't a lighthearted guy. But um, but I think that it's an unfair character characterization of him. When you look at Philippians, for example, it's one of the prison letters Paul is in prison and the theme of the letter is joy and rejoicing mm-hmm. yeah. and friendship and gratitude. Um, so I think there's a deep joyfulness in Paul, um, but he's, uh, and he and he also talks about, you know, the freedom of the gospel. And he says that the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So mm-hmm. I think one of the things we haven't fully grappled with is the extent to which Paul is saying that Christ is the heart of the matter completely mm. and that um, the we should live our lives in accordance with Jesus mm-hmm. and it's kind of to make that the absolute centering principle of it. Mm. Um, so, you know, I mean, there's definitely a difference between Jesus and Paul, but um, Jesus is, you know, preaching the gospel about the coming of the kingdom. So there's a difference even in the in in that because in in the gospels the coming of the kingdom is none other than Jesus walking in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, when Jesus mm. comes into any setting, the kingdom has arrived. You see this miracle happen, you see, you know, the lame person walk, you see the the uh um the feeding of the hungry, the mm-hmm. kingdom is among you. And so there's this invitation to enter into the sphere of the rule of God mm-hmm. that is centered on Jesus. Mm-hmm. And you could say there's continuity of that in the case of Paul, but Paul is explicitly believing about believe in Jesus. You don't right. find Jesus often saying, believe in me. Mm. It's yeah. Um, yeah. Paul is, Jesus is saying the kingdom of God has arrived but it's to a group of people that have been anticipating the rule yeah. of God for a long time. Mm. Mm. So Paul is, there's definitely a different mm. emphasis and a different focus yeah. in Paul's letters. Um, and 
you know, he definitely takes on as a burden the spiritual formation of his communities. And, you know, you'll remember that when he lists all of the sufferings that he goes through, you know, the many different things that he's endured, he ends it off by saying, and on top of all of this, I have the daily pressure of all the churches. Mm. And so Paul deeply um, kind of, if he had anxiety, it was about his churches. It was mm. about their formation. It was about their growing in Christ. It was about them not reneging on their initial impetus mm. to believe yeah. in Christ and then to give it up. So Paul says, if you... Um, you know, he's, he says to the Galatians, who cut in on you and stopped you from obeying the truth? Um, so he's deeply anxious for them. Yeah. Yeah. So I think Paul yeah. was, you know, he, was, he did have deep anxiety and and there's this seriousness about mm. him. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, there's a joyfulness in him too and a charismatic, I yeah. think, uh, presence and mm -hmm. something about him that drew people to him, cause people to genuinely love him. Yeah. Um, but he was also, I think, highly provocative and had people who genuinely probably hated him mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. saw him as deeply dangerous and problematic yeah. because of this decentering yeah. of the Torah yeah. and saying that, you know, this fundamental part of the Old Testament, the covenant of circumcision, was now secondary and sort of not required. Mm -hmm. um, but th these thoughts Paul may have inherited from the Christian community itself. Like you have to ask yourself, why did Paul persecute the church? This is one of the key insights of uh, Canadian scholar Terry Donaldson. Mm. He says that Paul sort of intuited stuff about the gospel that the Christians themselves maybe didn't get. Um, this was while he was a Pharisaic persecutor, is that he has a community who is letting sort of sinners be a part of the community and saying, you're part of the people of God, therefore right. implying that the Torah is not determinative for being in. Mm. But then more than that, righteous people like the Pharisees have to believe in Jesus the Messiah. Mm. So therefore, the law is not only required, it's also not it's not sufficient. Mm. It's mm. not enough. Even if you are a Pharisee, you can't be a part of this community unless you believe in the Messiah, Jesus. Mm. So the Torah has been deeply um, de-centered. And then like a Phineas from the book of Numbers or so on, who takes up, um, you know, uh, takes up the sword to defend the honor of the law and of Moses. Remember when he mm -hmm. killed the, uh, the woman, the Midianite woman that... Um, was it Zimri had taken? Oh. Phineas kills the, mm. the Israelite. And um, he is described as someone who was zealous for the law. Mm -hmm. And that's the mantle that Paul mm. in his pre-conversion has taken up. And he says to the, to the Galatians, I was more zealous than anyone else for mm. the law. Right. And it's language that's echoed in the book of First Maccabees, for example, in the Maccabean Rebellion, in the story of Elijah. So Paul saw himself as defending the honor of the Torah. So it's a it's a radical shift for him to decenter mm. the Torah in the way that he does. But he didn't win everybody over. So there's other people in the mm. Jerusalem church and so on who saw him as a genuine threat and a problem. Mm. And that's why they tr chased him around. And while you have Paul, for example, to the Philippians calling them dogs. You know, he's got, mm. you know, he's calls them mutilators of the flesh. Like yeah. he gets quite he gets, yeah. he gets nasty in his rhetoric mm -hmm. um but they're pretty nasty to him too and they're undercutting his work and he has to reflect on that you know in philippians he says you know i'm in prison the gospel is being preached they're doing it to to kind of harm me they're kind of undermining my gospel but then he says but at least the gospel is being preached so wow. you know he kind mm -hmm. of tries to come to terms with that but it's pretty Pretty painful for him yeah. Yeah. Um, to see that uh, he isn't embraced yeah. Yeah. by yeah. the whole community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We've got a few more questions, but we're not going to ask them. But that's fine because you're teaching a class on Paul yeah. and his letters in January. So if you are like Nick and I and you've got a few more questions that Paul hasn't answered, fear not. Tell What are you excited about? In terms I, of teaching that class. Well, I love teaching that class because it is, we get into all these things we're talking about mm -hmm. here. It's not a massively, uh, well, it's a short class for one thing. Mm -hmm. So we, it's not very technical, but we try to do a close reading of key parts of Paul. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the, 
that's really the thing with Paul's letters to try to to kind of really see what's there. Yeah. And but more than that, to kind of catch some of the spirit of Paul, mm-hmm. um, to become excited by yeah. what he had to say and about who he was. And uh, I, I love teaching that. Yeah. Are you going to have them memorize Romans? <laughs> yeah. In fact, it's an expectation <laughs> yeah, before, you before you start. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that's just an optional extra. Yeah. <laughs> Paul, thanks so much for your time. I feel like it's. I feel like it's definitely like. Mm. Oh, I like Paul more now than I yeah. did before. <laughs> so. <laughs> Great. You're working Paul the Apostle and yeah, both Pauls. Both. <laughs> both, yay. Thank you Thanks, for having Paul. me. Thanks for listening to the Regent College Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To discover more about Regent College, its upcoming events, conferences, courses, and more content like this, visit rgnt.net. That is rgnt.net.